Hello and good morning, evening or afternoon, depending on when you are tuning into this latest episode of Susty Talk from ED. To mark our sustainability engagement, communications and reporting themed week this month, so that's January 2023, um, I'm delighted to have on the phone the CEO of an organisation that is so well versed in all of those topics, Hubbub. So that is Alex Robinson, Hubbub CEO, on the phone with me today from London. So thank you so much for taking the time, Alex. How are we doing today? Thanks. Thanks for having me. I'm doing really well, thanks. No, thank you um, for coming on. I know this is our first time speaking with you in post um, as mm-hmm. CEO, something that I understand you took up um, last year. I know that when I say hubbub, um, a lot of our readers and listeners are probably expecting Truin to pop on the former CEO. Mm. Um, so I guess a good place to start, Alex, would be to an introduction to yourself. So a little about your your career journey so so far and why you are passionate about Hubbub's work, so leveraging behaviour change for the environment. Great, thanks, Sarah. So, well, I've taken the, the scenic route um, to get to get here. I spent the first part of my career in the music industry. I was absolutely obsessed um, with music when I was younger, and, and still am, but in a different in a different way. And all I wanted to do was work in the independent music industry, and and so I did that for years, and ended up running a, a Los Angeles-based record label. Um, in London, like their London office, for a few years, and then I set up my own company and and represented loads of American record labels around the world. And, and I just realised that I'd done what I'd hoped to do quite young, and I couldn't see a, a good path forwards. And I started to get more and more interested in how the music industry could could do better for the environment and be a force for good. It's not the most progressive industry, as as listeners are probably aware. And started to look for how I could move into a more, I guess, more purposeful, more meaningful career. And and I did a program called On Purpose, which is a way of people who've been in in work for about 10 years, say, they spend a year working in two purpose-led organisations for a year and and get trained about how to lead charities and social enterprises and and things like that. And they're, they're generally civil servants and lawyers and accountants. I was a bit of a wild card with my background. So... So I came out. I came out of that wanting to move into a, in, um, an environmentally focused business. At the same time, Hubbub had started a social enterprise, and it started the social enterprise off the back of inventing something called the ballot bin that some of your listeners might have heard of. But if you haven't, it's a it's a voting bin for cigarette butts, and it it poses the smoker a question. If they vote with the cigarette butts, it creates a visual opinion poll. And it reduces cigarette litter by about 50%. And um, Hubbub had invented this product. It wasn't set up to market, distribute, manufacture a product around the world. Um, and, and wanted to figure out how to do it well. And they were using the social enterprise to do it. So they were looking for someone to help them do that. And I had a background in manufacturing, sales and distribution of products all around Europe. They just happened to be music related. So we found this perfect this perfect match. And at the time, I wasn't particularly interested or knowledgeable about behaviour change. It was actually coming to Hubbub, being immersed in it and seeing it in action that developed that interest and passion for me as a route to, to making the impact that I wanted that I wanted to make and be involved in. And, and so I've learned on the job in that sense. I have no, no academic or formal training in it. 
that's so fascinating to me I do remember the ballot bins um yeah. overlap with at concerts I've seen um I've seen things you know like who's who's the best rapper Stormzy or Eminem um and then at football matches things like oh who's the best player Ronaldo or, or Messi and it, right. it's just a bit of fun right. um so it's great to hear about the overlap bet- between that and I wanted to hear a little bit more about what you've been doing um yeah as CEO I, mm-hmm. I suppose we can dive into some of the campaigns in a bit more depth including an update on on cigarettes um but it'd be great to hear about some of the topics that have been taking up your focus um while you've been CEO sure well we've picked four focus areas this year and and beyond so and we've picked them because they're areas where we know that there's huge potential for impact but also where our skills and experience we think we can make a big difference and we're the right organization to contribute so so the first one we're going to be doing more on is sustainable diets. Um, all the experts agree that that we need to reduce our meat consumption by 30 to 50 percent. And it's one of the most impactful changes that we can make as individuals. But it's one of the toughest nuts to crack because of meat's place in our culture. Um, so last year we we ran a campaign called Manchester is Green and we took a cohort of football fans in Manchester from both sides of that football divide. Um, and we 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 worked with them to inspire plant-based diets as two cohorts, United and City fans. Um, and we made everything football related. So like there were tactical substitutions as food swaps. And we had a recipe for Andy Coleslaw for the Man United fans and things like that. And we got to the end of it and and 70% of people were were eating less meat three months after the trial finished. Um, and there were the multiple co-benefits to that as well. So one of the things we'll be doing this year is building on that approach. What topics and routes and kind of communities of interest can we use to come at the topic of sustainable diets at without confronting people's identities um, and without making it all about telling people to eat less meat? Because we know that doesn't that doesn't work. Um, our second area that we're going to do more on this year is reuse and particularly reusable packaging. Uh, Hubbub's got so much experience in, in litter and recycling projects and how to change people's behaviour around, around those, those everyday items. So we want to apply what we've learned to the circular economy. And, and our biggest project on that over the last year has been something called the Bring It Back Fund um, in partnership with Starbucks, where we've given... Uh, um, 1.4 million of grants to innovators in the reusable packaging space for food and drink. And we're going to be working with them um, to support them over the next year and help them work together and, and amplify their impact. And we have a lots of other projects in that in that area. But I think it's really important that, you know, in our industry, people talk about the circular economy and they often assume that everyone knows what it means. The public do not know what it means. It doesn't resonate. And we need to bring it to life for people. And I think food and drink packaging is a, is a great place to start. And because of the volume of it as well, it's hugely impactful one. Third thing we're going to be focusing on is access to nature. Uh, this really grew out of the pandemic, highlighting the inequities in terms of access to green space. And we're really we're interested in two aspects of this, and we've been exploring them. One is about how communities can take a lead on 
creating and owning green spaces in their area. So we have a project called Greener Together in, in East London where the residents have not only transformed this, this local space in Alma Street, but they're also now creating a community interest company so that they can be stewards of it in the long term. So it's not just someone coming in, dropping in some planters and, and leaving again. It's really developing something um, that's both by and for the local community and that they have long term um, ownership of. So that's really that's a really exciting development, I think. And, and the other aspect we're looking into is how interacting with nature can lead to other environmentally friendly behaviours. This is this is more of like the behaviour change side because there's research that suggests that it can, and we're doing a, a project with an independent research agency in Manchester to find out how how big an impact, if there is any impact at all, which there may not be, and that's part of a city level project we're doing in Manchester called In Our Nature. So I'm really curious about the results, and then if it's positive, how we can use that and help others to use that to create that spillover effect between engaging with, with nature and, and doing other, other things that are good for the environment. Um, and the fourth and final area, and perhaps the toughest one that um, we're, we're doing more on is responsible fashion. Um, and I'm, sort of, I'm sure a lot of people know it's, it's often claimed that fashion is responsible for 10% of global emissions. And it's a hugely complicated topic with environmental and social problems like at every turn. So it's been at one of Hubbub's hubs, we call them, like key topics since the beginning. And we've had some great projects, but we've never really um, we've never really focused on it. And and we think that this is a great time to do that. And and even though there's so much noise about the harmful impact of fashion, at the same time, people love clothes and with you don't get very far by banging on about how terrible things are like some of that needs to be done but there's other work that needs to be done and we, we think our role in it is to change the way people think about and look after their clothes helping them make educated buying decisions loving and looking after the clothes that we've already got making better end-of-life choices and and overall it means buying less fewer clothes in the first place right so the challenge is like if you want to ultimately make people buy less, but still love fashion, and for it not to feel like a sacrifice, um, that's a really that's a really difficult challenge, and one we're going to be approaching in different ways over the next uh, over the next little while. I wanted to come on to that because obviously the cost of living is going up. We do have this feeling of sacrifice, um, of scarcity. Um, and for people that are communicating sustainable behaviour change, I'm presuming that means selling this as a way to save money as well. Um, and several of the things that you've mentioned could save money. So buying less new fashion, mending the fashion you have, buying second hand, wasting less food and eating less meat um, and spending some of your free time in nature, which, as you <laughs> say, should yeah. be free. Yeah. Um, so I'd like to get your views on how we can communicate that sustainable behaviours don't have to be more expensive and they can actually be cost savers. Yeah, I mean, this has been at the heart of, of Hubbub's work since since the beginning, because we often haven't led with the environmental message, because if you lead with an environmental message, you speak to people who already care. And that's valuable for sure. 
need to talk to those people. But if you want to bring new people in and change those behaviours, you have to talk to people about things that they care about. And, you know, now more than ever, that's saving money. But it's one of a number of it's one of a number of drivers that are out there that aren't about the environment, that appeal to people, that can inspire um, that can inspire more environmentally friendly behaviours. Um, so, it, you know, that can be spending time with family or it can be feeling healthier, things like that, for example. So you know, the Sustainable Diets Project in Manchester I spoke about is a good example of this because, you know, we had, I think, 68% of people told us they were saving money at the end of that project and they were averaging over £17 a week. So that's quite a significant saving if you add that up over a year. And yet we didn't go into it as here's a project that will save you money. But we often find that that promoting the money saving aspect of the behaviours will attract people and will help the habit to stick. Um, it's a big thing with food waste because people often don't realise the value of the food they throw away or are not um, the behaviours around around reducing food waste need, need to be learned and appreciated and, and embedded and then people see how much money they save. So I think it's a really important message to leave with and it's also about picking those things where you can save money because you know not every green behaviour is a money saving one um, and it's important to recognise that as well and, and look at the ways that you can make the places where people can save money and the places which benefit the environment, look for that overlap and try and amplify those. That makes complete sense. I've seen, yeah, I've seen and moderated about a lot of discussions about, well, if the environmental impact is the same, does it matter that that's what you're leading um, the discussion with? And I'd say that at the moment, it's probably, probably no. No, and one of the things I think that's interesting about that is that, you know, if you don't lead with the environmental message, if the behaviour sticks, then the impact sticks. But often taking action comes before a change in our identity. So it, it's kind of traditional to think you need to be educated about something and then you take an action. But I, the reality is people act in a certain way for whatever reason. And then they think, well, I'm the type of person who does this. Right. You know, so you might start wasting this food to save money. But after you do that for a while, regardless of the money saving, you're the type of person who doesn't, you know, who thinks food waste is a bad thing. Mm -hmm. And that becomes part of your identity. So I think it's a bit simplistic to, to think, well, if you don't lead with the environmental message, people will, you know, they won't know. And is that enough? And I have some sympathy with that. It isn't enough if no one has any awareness or about the environmental issues. But we shouldn't get so hung up on educating people about the environmental stuff that we don't try and maximise the impact. I wanted to come back to something you said, which is that not all um, environmental behaviours will save you money. Um, and all of the four focus areas you've mentioned are ones that could potentially save you money. But we've also talked about discouraging littering, which is a really environmental heavy um, issue and we started talking about ballot bins for cigarettes mm, but mm -hmm. something that caught my eye recently was that mm. um, you guys ran over autumn and winter, winter this really funny campaign raising awareness of plastics in cigarette butts with some signs outside train stations that said things like do you know what's in your butt 
Um, <laughs> so it'd be great to hear about learnings from this sort of campaign where you can't lead with the with the cost necessarily, um, especially at the moment that we're seeing so many discussions about oh, post-COVID, other types of litter are back up. And especially now people are saying, well, um, yeah, plastic vapes are the next mm. litter frontier. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so for, for those who didn't didn't see it, our cigarette litter campaign was designed to raise awareness of the fact that cigarette butts are made out of plastic, cellulose acetate, and, and they, they take over or can take over a decade um, to break down in the environment. And we did some polling and found that even a third of smokers didn't realise that and they think cigarette butts were made of cotton wool predominantly so it's a it's a big environmental issue because it's the the most littered item in the world and because people chuck them um down drains um near waterways and they they get into the environment that way and they're full of toxins so in some ways it's like the last acceptable form of litter but it really it really shouldn't be and so so we've been working on this off and on over the years and the, and the ballot bin is a tool to to tackle it that's all over the world now but we wanted to do something that really brought the plastic issue to light and yeah we took over this area outside Stratford in East London and I still can't believe we got away with the what's in your butt messaging which came out of a brainstorm pre-pandemic which um I just yeah and and we had cartoons and, and newspapers and stuff talking about that um in terms of learning from the campaign to, to be frank the main thing that we learned I think was was we depended too much on it being a campaign to catch media attention and we were really focused on on that and and so the creative was brilliant the messaging was really strong we had everything lined up to do that but but the launch was just um around the time the queen died and it disrupted the campaign we had to pull the campaign initially and then we we rescheduled it but you know it wasn't an appropriate message in the media at that time so we didn't really get anything like the pickup that we would have expected or aimed for and because we were so dependent on that we didn't have enough follow-up to to really make the campaign kick off um so i think in terms of the learning for us from that it was it was that we were too dependent on that one mode of getting the, the word out um, and we'll keep using those attention grabbing on the ground stunts as part of campaign launches because they do bring people together they generate interest you know they catch your eye and get people talking um, but it's really important to make sure you have all the on the ground um, follow-up which we usually would as well um, it's funny you mentioned the vapes as well because we've been looking into this phenomenon of disposable vapes and we've been asked to, to help with it as well. People don't realise that they're electronic waste. They've got these tiny little lithium batteries and circuit boards. They can't be recycled. It's not in any way cost effective to take them apart um, and take out the, the electronic, tiny electronic components. Um, but, but at the same time, they're very dangerous because they cause fires in, in, like the, the, in the, the waste facilities. And there's also millions of them um i don't have the statistics to hand but it's mind boggling how much they've that that waste stream has grown and how much littering there is of them so it is something that that we've looked at however our conclusion and it's 
this isn't usually our conclusion, but in this case, our conclusion is they should just be banned. There was a reusable vape first. It worked, it worked and worked perfectly well. So when the reusable option is already there and functioning, um, it seems crazy to divert loads of resources to sorting out a problem that is just a case of, of bad design and someone designing something that's deliberately difficult to deal with at the end of its life. So um, I would ban or tax into oblivion the, the disposable vapes. Um, and I hope, yeah, there won't be a blight on our streets for too much longer, but let's see about that. Well, I'll have to keep my my eyes peeled. I know there's one lady who's calling herself the Vape Crusader. Yeah, a lot of media yeah. attention just by posting how many she pick, picks up. So it looks like we are at that sort of stunts to generate interest um, stage, really. Yeah, and um, it's been great to see her 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 crusade picking up picking up interest. Yeah. Got it. Well, Alex, I think we're coming to the end of our time here today on Susty Talk. I know you're really busy and um, probably have other meetings to dash off to. But thank you very much for taking the time to come on Susty Talks and to contribute to our focus week this week. It's been my pleasure. Thanks for having me, Sarah.